Blog Talk Radio. Possibly the worst song ever written. 
I'm telling you, I understand, I understand that you're a communist and, and you hate America, and therefore you don't... I am neither a communist nor anti-American. And therefore you don't, like, um, bring the pain. But uh, I'm telling you I right now... I don't think anyone legitimately likes that song. I love it. It used to be on my workout mix. I'm convinced that you're lying to me. There's, that's one of those things that just every time I hear it, every time I think about it, there's no possible way a rational human being who has not suffered severe brain injury can find that song legitimately enjoyable. I, just, I don't see it. used to pop me up while I was running. I, 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 I ran a half marathon. That song was on the mix. But I'm telling you right now, for the sake of this podcast, let's move on with it and let me end this whole bit by saying – at the very least, the the musical numbers in Greece too should be considered cruel and unusual torture, cruel and unusual punishment. So to the you know intern at the CIA or the NSA or whatever that's listening to this, and you need a new method of interrogation that doesn't involve physical torture. I have two Greece words for you: on a cool lighter. <laughs> He's a cool rider, a cool rider. If he's cool enough, he'll burn me through and through. I want a rider that's cool. All right. Guys, uh, after that prolonged introduction, and I'm sure most of you have tuned out by this particular point. (laughs) You know, if we had post-production, if this were not a live show, that whole bit Mark and I just did would probably be clipped out. I, I'm well. We had a similar conversation on the Metal Hammer of Doom last night, and I'm convinced that there's a segment of the people who get this, who who, who download our podcast, know they're going to get opening shtick and just fast forward through it. But everybody else, this is what they listen for. Sure, they're, they you know they came for the actual topic at hand. They stay for they stay for the off-topic shtick. They stay for me no selling you as you try to get laughs out of the people. Whatever. Answer the picnic. Just get on with this podcast before we go to sleep. Uh, I don't know. There's a threat. <laughs> All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Radlich and Broadcasting Network Movie Review Club. Uh, and I have to phrase it that way because I'm not here next week. I, I'm taking two reasons. One, I was not going to see that movie anyway because next week Mark and uh, I believe Jesse will be reviewing Turtle, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles out of the shadows, and you can enjoy CGI that gives you cancer of the eyes, and Megan Fox, who's just terrible, and Will Arnett, who I'm not sure how he justifies his existence. I'm just not. But I won't be, I will not, neither be seeing that movie nor reviewing it. That will be them. I will be river rafting. So this is just the club as opposed. Yeah, thanks. A quick little three or four day trip. But tonight, Mark Radlich and I are reviewing X-Men Apocalypse, the latest big release. Uh, took number one at the box office. We'll get into that more in a little bit. It is the final installment in this current trilogy of films. The Mystique trilogy. It's the m M&M trilogy. It's equal parts Mystique and Magneto, I think. Um... Maybe, but I think when Fox thinks about this trilogy, all they've got is Jennifer Lawrence on the brain. Well, sure. Well, sure. They're they're network executives. They don't think about much of anything. 
So I'm going with the Mystique trilogy. However, you I, choose. I am a notorious shill. I am a notorious shill for the executives. I'm change, I've changed sides. Uh huh. That'll last uh, till you know two weeks from tonight. <laughs> no, for, the, for the sake of my heart, I'm uh, I've decided to stop screaming at, at executives. Whatever, whatever they want to do, I'm on their side. Uh, Mark, you got to stay on the right side, even if it's not the winning side. Nope. <laughs> I give up. All right. Uh, this is uh, this is kind of an odd movie for me in a couple of different ways. Uh, Mark, do you have anything you want to any bits of your preamble that you want to get into before I review the plot of this thing? I do, but I actually want you to address something. All right. Because on Facebook, you had made a remark that uh, you said that after watching this movie and seeing my remarks, you've come to the conclusion about how I enjoy movies versus how you enjoy movies. And, you know, I joked about, oh, I feel like I'm being insulted here, but I don't quite know how how or why. Like, no, 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 no. This was a legitimate... um, uh, this was a le- legitimate you know, dawning of an idea that I had. And I said, okay, well, I'm curious to see wh- where you landed on this. So where did you land on that, Robert Winfrey? What is it, what, what uh, discovery about my personality have you made uh, as it, sta- as it relates to watching movies versus you? Well, first to kind of preface this, I may be wrong. I'll go ahead and give that disclaimer. The reason I feel like, uh, I feel somewhat okay making a few of the assumptions I have in this regard. You and I have done a lot of this. We've done you know, a bunch of movie reviews. We've talked about this stuff offline, online. We've hurled insults. We've traded barbs. We've spammed each other with movie reviews that support our opinion versus the other person's, things of that nature. And when it comes to this movie in particular, I suppose what kind of illuminated a few issues for me. There's nothing interesting about this movie. There is nothing ambitious or different or memorable about this movie. Borderline at all. I'm prepared to accept that, you know, there are other people who might feel differently about a few things in it, but as a general rule. And I think you enjoy movies that will aim at a lower target but hit it instead of aim for a higher one and miss. That's not unfair. And in my and the reason I mention that is uh, when it comes to my personal enjoyment of movies, I'm a little bit the other way. Not always, but as a again, general rule. I am more forgiving in my enjoyment of a film that aims higher or aspires for something and maybe falls a few falls short in places of execution as opposed to something that is overly safe, overly generic, but doesn't commit any massive errors of execution. Can I step in here to give you some insight? Let's take going to a Broadway musical something that I have in fact done and do enjoy on occasion and going to a strip club. There are similarities, 
both will feature women dancing. Uh, both will feature music. Uh, both are performances to be enjoyed while sitting. Now, uh, you are not going to get the same level of performance at a musical that you would at a strip club. There are, there's a different level of expectation at the musical than there is at the strip club. And I think I've said something similar before, probably using a similar, well, using a, a similar uh, examples. But essentially, yeah, if I go into the strip club, I know pretty much what to expect. And as long as those expectations are met, I'm a happy guy. Uh, if I go to see a musical, I have higher expectations. You know, if I go see Rent or Les Miserables, both of which I have seen uh, in, the, in the theater, you know, or Cats, which was terrible, by the way, um, I, actually, I have an exponentially higher set of standards, and as long as they are met, I'm a happy guy. It, it's, a, it's, it, it's a measuring of expectations. Um, you know, I, I don't try, I don't expect everything to be art. I don't, I don't, I don't typically watch movies. Um, you know, I don't go into a big budget, uh, tentpole, uh, made by committee uh, action film, expecting that I'm going to get a, you know, a ten million dollar indie flick. I think that would be a stupid assumption. So yeah, I, you know, when you say, um, you know, aims for a lower target and hits it. Well, sure, but but I but why would you expect anything else? So I mean, I think I think movies slash film are meant to be enjoyed, just as going to the strip club is meant to be enjoyed. Going to the musical is meant to be enjoyed. These are all things meant to be enjoyed on different levels, um, and it's up to the individual to sort of you know measure their expectations accordingly. I don't really think there's anything wrong with that. No, I. And it's it's not a condemnation. It's not an insult. It's simply an observation. Mm-hmm. We all enjoy things differently. Every human being on the planet enjoys different things in different ways for different reasons. Right. And and I just you know, kind of had a bit of an aha moment <laughs> as it pertains to you know how I think you enjoy movies. Versus how I necessarily enjoy them in this particular instance. Well, relate this to an apocalypse. For me. Well, the comparison, the you, comparison made you made was that you preferred this to Civil War. And if anyone's listening and you haven't heard Mark and I review Civil War, it's in the archives. Go back and listen to it. Uh, not a perfect movie. We spend a fair amount of time discussing ways to improve it but I think I personally enjoyed Civil War more because we had not only did it do some things that hadn't necessarily been done certainly on the scale that Civil War did them but apart from Robert Downey Jr.'s somewhat bizarre choice to go berserk by being flat (laughs) I enjoyed most of the acting. I thought most of the you know, 
the positions that the characters were put in were different. I mean, especially when you consider that you they just sold a major movie around the two biggest names in their cinematic universe disagreeing, hitting each other in the face repeatedly, and ending without necessarily mending those fences. Now, errors of execution, sure. We Again, see previous discussion. Here, there's not necessarily a whole lot of execution errors. I mean, there's two or three scenes that I just, as I was watching them in the theater, I kind of rolled my eyes and went, really? We had to flesh this movie out this way? But, you know, everyone is on screen. Everyone delivers the lines. The acting is... Serviceable. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that. Uh, Fassbender continues to do a good job as Magneto. McAvoy is fine as Xavier. Everyone else is just kind of there. And there's a lot of characters introduced in this movie that... All right, let me see if I can help you out here. We have we have a this is the summer of overstuffed movies. You had Batman versus Superman. <laughs> you had Batman versus Superman, which was um, the alarming case of trying to start your Marvel your, your uh, Marvel trying to start your cinematic universe by doing all the things in one movie uh, before proper before proper, properly establishing uh, characters, motivations, your universe, etc. Then you had. Um, then you had Civil War, which was the exact opposite, which was an overstuffed movie, but it, you know, but it was the sum total of everything they've set up up to this point. And I, it, to me, it was just, it just wasn't executed well. Um, I said before the show started tonight, if the, if the movie ends at the airport, I have less of a problem with it. But then there's that third act, and that third act to me is awful. Yeah, then, yeah that, that really uh, kind of hung you up. It really does. Um, and then you have X-Men Apocalypse, which is another overstuffed movie. Um, it, it definitely has the case of wanting to end one trilogy while starting another, uh, while still telling you the story uh, of a god who wants to remake the Earth uh, in his own image, for, um, as, it, as it were. And while shoehorning in characters and actors that well, exist. I said, it, it, I, I said it's 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 ending one trilogy and beginning another um while doing that at the same time. So it, there's a lot going on. It, it is overstuffed. Um when we start getting into some of the characters, you could have literally replaced the three horsemen that are gonna go on to be major one of which is already a major character. Um, but I'm assuming Angel's dead. So two characters that are gonna go on to be Major, uh, major players. Hey, and then, get uh, out so, of there. Keep going. But, Sorry, you replaced, but you could have replaced them with the 1966 uh, Batman versions, you know, the Joker's henchmen, one, two, and three, and you wouldn't have missed a beat, uh, which is a problem. But here, here's, what, here's what I was going. And with Batman versus Superman, it was overstuffed and all over the place. And while... 
Um, I almost take umbrage with the idea of I don't I, I can't appreciate a movie that aims high and misses because I felt like that one did. And oh I, no no and uh, I, uh, my apologies movie. if that came across as you're that you don't you know, that you don't like them or you don't acknowledge. I'm simply talking about personal enjoyment. You enjoy a movie like this more than you do something like Dawn of Justice. Um, yeah, I, well, here's, here's, here's to me where the difference is. Dawn of Justice, I thought, was a more intelligently written movie um, than Civil War. Civil War has a lot... Civil War, I think, is almost a personally... Um, not, not enriching, but uh, satisfying in that you get to see all of these things sort of finally come together and played out. And if the third act isn't shitty, it really would have hit a home run, in my opinion. Um, with X-Men, what you have is sort of a drab affair, but at least it's a sound affair. It's, it did the best job of keeping, you know, if Batman versus Superman threw all the balls up in the air and they all came falling down on, on its head, but at least, you know, but, but at least it tried, I can forgive it. Then you have, you know, uh, Captain America Civil War, which is, okay, we've got the balls, we've got the balls, we've got the balls, and one of them hits an audience member in the head. Well, it was going good up to that point. This one, it kept all the balls in the air. It didn't drop any of them, per se. It's just a guy juggling. But and for some bear in point, mind, it's a guy juggling, like, one ball. No, that's not fair. In terms, of, comple- in terms of narrative complexity... This Let's is one guy juggling one no, ball. I'll balls. give you two. I'll give you two. No, um, three. It's three balls. There's the, the and, and I'm serious. If we assign the balls to a certain thing, you have the introduction of new characters, the closing out of, an, of, of the Mystique trilogy, and the actual narrative of the movie. It did all three adequately. I'm going to say at the end, he, I'm going to say he dropped the one at the beginning about character introduction. He picked uh, well, it back we, up, but you and I, you you and I can punch each other over that in a little bit. But for the sake of getting through this sort of opening bit here, um, I would say that's the best way of describing this movie. It's a it's a it's a drab juggling act. But to take this all the way where we started, but why do you like a drab juggling act versus one where it was going great until an audience member got hit in the head? And why, and why do you still like the one where they couldn't get any of the balls to juggle at all uh, and dropped them all? Well, I, I thought Batman vs. Superman was an intelligently written film. I thought it was actually trying to elevate the superhero genre. It just did it in the most fucked up way I can possibly imagine. The point where you want to slap the people at Warner Brothers. And, and they have gone, in fact, slapped each other because they've gone and made some executive changes. Um, Good. I think I expect more of Marvel is the issue. It, you know, it's kind of like Marvel is the is the star child. You've had the longest run. You've had the most experience. You shouldn't be dropping balls in the third act. And for God's sakes, we shouldn't still be getting movies where the villain is absolute shut. Okay, we shouldn't yeah. be getting. We should at, at this point. It's now become a, a staple of the Marvel movie of the non-effective villain. This, and yeah, so for those of you who are not necessarily aware of this, uh, because this podcast has been indefinitely on hiatus for a variety of reasons, 
but back when I was doing Everyone Loves a Bad Guy, there was a whole like three-hour discussion devoted specifically to the poor quality of the villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It's shocking how bad okay. they are. So, so why so why did I like X Men Apocalypse more than in Civil War? Well, at least the villain mattered. Eh. <laughs> oh come on. It, it, Oh, okay. Uh, let, let me let me preface the, my eh there. I will preface my eh. Zemo in Civil War could have been completely have written out. Contrary. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Zemo in Civil War could have been completely written out and should have been. Previous discussion, Mark and I had. We both agreed on that point. My issues with Apocalypse in this movie were that he had no character. When I say this is this movie reminds me of big budget disaster porn, let's hmm. replace Apocalypse with these shifting tectonic plates. The only thing we're missing is a few lines of dialogue. There is nothing memorable about the character. He does not have a character. He does not have an arc. He does of, not have anything except nature. cool powers. He's, he's a force of nature. Um, it's one of the failures of the movie, agreed, that they don't spend enough time establishing why there should have been a scene where Apocalypse sort of looks around and, you know, that sort of, you've seen it in other movies where someone's having like an anxiety attack almost where, you know, he looks and over here, you know, there's, there's a woman who is scantily clad and over here there's people doing drugs and over yeah, there's this going on. And that person's listening to rock music and my God, this, what, what happened to the world that I created? What, this world has gone to shit. There was never that. I was waiting for that because that would have been at least a sufficient enough, to, you know. And if you're talking about like, well, he's a mutant, you know, let's look. Then, then you can do that, or you can do a again a thing where you spin the camera 360 degrees, but you're showing mutants in hiding. You're showing you're showing uh, mutants being picked on. You're showing uh, mutants afraid to use their powers, and he's going, but we 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 could rule the world. Why is it like this? Why do you, you know, you, you're all, what's the line? Something about you, uh, you're all some, you're all children because you, you're all blind. That's it. You're all blind because you follow uh, blind leaders. You're all lost. I'll get there eventually. You're all lost children because you follow blind leaders. Okay. It's great that he says it in the movie, but it comes out of nowhere because there's no establishing shot of him real, of having him, of him having come to that realization. He just sort of hatches out of an egg like the gobbledygooker and, you know, and just kind of looks around and like, well, this world is crap. I need to, I need to start all over again. Like, you know, like, uh, uh, you know, like God in the old Testament, which again is fine, but show me that in the movie just kind of skips. It just says, well, you know, that's the, Here's, it's like it's like Apocalypse showed up on, on a, a Sunday morning talk show, decided here's my opinion of the world, and went about remaking it. Um, yeah, his it, it was almost as bad as Ultron from Age of Ultron. Yeah, in terms it's up of, there. Uh, I give Ultron a little bit more credit simply because we quite literally witness his birth as consciousness. And there's a few, uh, you know, there's a few allowances that have to be made at parts that uh, there, both for the character and again, some failures of the movie. And go back and listen to Mark and I review Age of Apocalypse. No, wait, that was me and Teasley. That wasn't you. Yeah, 
Go back to listen to listen Age of Ultron. Yeah, go go back to listen to Jason Teasley and I review Age of Ultron. Similar well, we issue. About it we we did a brief review of Age of Ultron because I, without going off on a tangent, my daughter was in the hospital. I wasn't able to do the review, so I sort of commandeered your podcast to give my thoughts on the movie. And we said at the time that they wrote Ultron's character all wrong. They should have had him. They should have. They they should have had him go out on a mission, have the mission end badly, and and have him sort of you know have almost a human reaction uh, where first there is shame and then there is anger and that anger turns into, I will kill everybody um, was what I said at the time. Same thing with apocalypse. Apocalypse needed to be reborn, needed to join the mutant community, realize the mutant community while better off than they were in the sixties and seventies is still not doing great and saying, you know, my kingdom is gone. I will, you know, I must remake this world. Um, as a place for mutants to rule the world because that is what must happen. And again, we never, we never get that. He just sort of, you know, it's like the people writing these movies forget that you have to establish appropriate motivation for a villain, but it's not enough just to establish it. You actually have to show it on fucking screen. Um, so move, moving forward. So, cause we were talking about the difference between, um, you know, the three movies and my, and, you know, my enjoyment of movies versus your enjoyment. Uh, Apocalypse is not the world's greatest Britain villain. He's more of a force of nature than anything else. And that's sort of a failure in the writing, but at least he was central to the plot. Unlike Zemo. I will absolutely go ahead and give you that. If he never wakes up, uh, we never get a movie. There you go. That ultimately makes us a better movie than Captain America's Civil War, in my opinion. Yeah, it makes Apocalypse a better placed character in the plot. All right, we should probably tell people what this movie's about. Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> Do all your right, job. Right. Fine, fine. Yeah, I fundamentally object to your ordering me around. You don't pay me. All right. Do your job, Free. I can find a monkey to replace you. By all means, I've done jobs that monkeys could do. <laughs> all right. Uh, this movie opens with uh, the character of Insabanur. Uh, we refer to him as Apocalypse. Uh, his name is Insabanur. Uh, back in ancient Egypt, he is ruler of the kingdom. He is the world's first mutant. He is... Uh, all powerful and you know just life is good he's got a giant pyramid he's got legions of devoted followers he's got his four horsemen and he's got a new mutant to transfer his consciousness into i have a rant about that whole thing by the way Uh, unfortunately as he is going to transfer his consciousness into this new body because he ages and he's going to transfer it into a body that heals. So, you know, early Wolverine-type healing. So he will never age. And now he can, you know, not, you know, he doesn't have to worry about, be, you know, being infirm. You know, things of that nature. Because he's still, you know, all, he's very powerful, but he's not invincible. As he is transferring his consciousness over, he is betrayed by the... You know, palace guard, the military, some group that is just sick of him for whatever reason, never established. 
but I'm I'm okay with just taking the leap that he's the ruler of a giant empire. People are going to be dissatisfied. Yeah, history has proven that one. He's buried under you know several tons of material. Uh, he is saved at the last minute by one of his followers, who prevents him from being crushed and killed. But he is sealed away under the streets of Cairo. And in present-day Cairo, he is reawoken by Moira McTaggart from the CIA. I, I just, I really no, agree. He was, he was reawoken by one of the cults of mutants. Uh, no, that was... no, 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 no. She woke him up. Because those idiots were standing there chanting, but for some reason were not aware that you need sunlight to actually hit the golden cap. Oh, okay. Well, they meant to wake him up. They were trying, but they're apparently too stupid to understand that, you know, sunlight was essential to the process. But because she comes along and knocks out the guy who was guarding their entrance and lets the sunlight in, then he can finally reawaken. Uh, he comes back into the world, and you know he's been a, been asleep for you know three and a half thousand years. A few things have changed, but he decides that he doesn't like this world. He fundamentally objects to humans ruling mutants because now I know the character's motivation in terms of source material as opposed to the movie characters. But he again fundamentally objects to it. Decides you know. I have, you know, I'm the powerful one. I feel like ruling and I don't like all of you for a <sighs> very little reason. <laughs> Good enough for me. I, I know. You know. High pressure meets low pressure forms tornado. Fine. <laughs> Go on. Tectonic plates move courtesy of subduction, uh, creating friction, resulting in giant earthquake that the rock must stop. Fine. Go on. Anyway, he comes into this world and decides he needs to get his four followers, who would be the four strongest people he can find. And then he's going to, you know, set about reclaiming the world as it he believes it should be. On the other side of the equation, well, there's a few other sides. We have Charles Xavier, who has the school going. We are introduced to the school, courtesy of Scott Summers. Uh, better known as Cyclops, who who is brought over as his powers start manifesting by his older brother. And there we're reunited with, you know, Hank McCoy. uh, And we get to meet Jean Grey and, you know, all the other people. And he's, you know, still hopeful for, you know, his world. Mystique is living in secret because, you know, she's got the shape-shifting powers. And she's freeing mutants who are being you know, abused, harmed, forced into underground fight clubs, including saving Nightcrawler, who for some reason cannot teleport outside of an electrified fence. Really bugged me. Detail, detail. Severe narrative inconsistency there. Severe. Electricity messes up Nightcrawler's transportation uh, um, uh, power. Then the number of places he shouldn't be able to get to is staggering. <laughs> well, he says he can't go any further than where he can see or if he's been there before. Fine, he could see outside the fence. No, uh, the, the, the presence of electric, the presence of man-made electricity messes up his powers. 
And I'm saying that if that's the case, he operates poorly around a power substation. It's best not to ask questions when free. Just accept it. No. I yes. do not accept those things. I question them. Again, narrative inconsistency. Okay, Red. I'm not sure what your point of reference is there. Angry birds. Okay. The angry, the angry questioning bird that people uh, may live on the beach. Okay. There's a lot of different. There's several different reds you could have been referring to in that particular instance. Is all. Sure, I could. I, I could, have, could have been calling you the father from that seventy show, and you could have responded, "Okay, dumbass." Ah, oh, Red Foreman. So many great line, great jokes. All right. Stop questioning things. <laughs> That's your problem. No. Just, just accept it. Yeah. No. <laughs> Give me Life's a reason. Life is so much happier when you just stop questioning authority. Yeah, I imagine plenty of people who have been lobotomized could testify to that. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever seen an unhappy lobotomized person? Move on. Well, yes. Just move on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's a different story. Anyways, we have those two. Uh, Magneto, Eric Lenscher, is living with his wife and kid in Poland. He's just trying to have a normal, happy life in the wake of, you know, the events of Days of Future Past when he lift, you know, tried to kill the president, took control of a bunch of sentinels, and just caused all kinds of problems. And it's, it's into that world that uh, Apocalypse comes, and he recruits Archangel, who bears no resemblance to the actual character of Warren Worthington, but instead is he's not a character. He's just there. He exists. Henchman, That's all that I can say. One. What? Henchman, no, no, I'm sorry. He was henchman number three. He does, however, have a pretty cool moment in the sense that when he is recruited by Apocalypse, he is jamming out to Metallica's version of the Four Horsemen. <laughs> which I got a chuckle out of. Easter egg. I'm the only guy in the theater who got that, by the way. I got an Easter egg. I got an Easter egg. All right. He also recruits Psylocke, who is henchman number two. And, of course, there's henchman number one, who just happens to be around when he's doing his thing, and that's Storm, who is a local pickpocket in Cairo. Yep, and the extent of her character is she hero-worships Mystique. But that makes her freaking Hamlet next to the other two. <laughs> I was going to say, the extent of her character is that she's henchman number one. No, no. She has a hero crush on Mystique. Oh, super. Okay. That's it. But <laughs> So he, get, he also recruits Magneto, whose family is tragically killed. And I have a real gripe with that decision. I really do. It, it it just seems so pointless, and not in the sense that it was a tragedy and senseless tragedies occur. They do, they happen. Okay. Can I? Can you finish doing the plot synopsis so that we can actually talk about the movie? All right, sorry, sorry. He recruits Magneto. He has a plan to utilize his ability to manipulate magnetic fields to destroy all man-made objects and send us back to the Bronze Age. 
he will this will also result in the death of anyone not strong enough to survive and apocalypse is just fine with that and he will be remaking you know cairo into the city he wants it to be because that's where the seat of his power was way back when he also decides he's going to abduct Charles Xavier because Xavier is the world's most powerful telepath and can put him and you know can control people's minds in ludicrous ways and he's going to transfer his consciousness into Xavier and at that point he will be all powerful because with his own natural amplification of powers he could actually control everyone on earth at the same time and really, that's what any tyrant needs. Uh, that's quite literally. If you can so control so everyone's thoughts and actions, you're golden. Again, so far, so good. We, we, we have a villain with a stated goal. Uh, most of the movie is him uh, getting a team together to make that goal happen. Um, and the final act of that movie is the good guy stopping him from achieving that goal. Solid plot. Uh, it's a solid outline. So, meanwhile... Meanwhile, uh, Mystique recruits Nightcrawler and Cyclops and Quicksilver and Grey and... I'm forgetting somebody. Well, no, h- hang on. Beast. So, we're, we, la- we're, we left off with... Uh, she's out there saving mutants from the tyranny of humanity... She brings Nightcrawler to the school. Um, there's a bit where, you know, they talk about her not being a hero, which is, a, which is her arc in this film. She's just out there doing what she feels compelled and obligated to do, but she does not see herself as a hero or any type of leader. She's just somebody who wants to save her own kind. She's still operating from a place of anger. So while Apocalypse is out there gathering his, gathering his army and, and uh, proceeding to make his move, um, we have on the other side of this um, uh, Mystique and Charles uh, getting back together. Learn, um, Charles is also learning about Apocalypse. Um, so, they, so actually at the, at the start of that, he's not even there when she shows up. Uh, so she spends that time reuniting with, with Hank. Um, Scott's learning to use his powers and he's, uh, getting to know Jean Grey and they start off, uh, not particularly liking one another. Um, well, Mark, don't you know that every awkward teenage romance in cinema history must start off with the awkward bump in the hallway? (laughs) Stop. So getting to the point, getting to the point forward. Um, Moving us forward, yeah. They Apocalypse shows up, steals Xavier. Havoc blows up the school accidentally. Quicksilver shows up, and we get a rehash. Uh, yes, with a song set a decade later, but a rehash of a bit from Days of Future Past. Still funny. Still, still the best part of the movie. I'm not sure I'd agree with that, but okay. Everybody else does. I'm not sure that's accurate either. It's all that matters. I, you just made two <laughs> massive logical leaps there. <laughs> all that matters is that we all agree. Move on. But we don't. Consequently, your statement becomes fallacious. This review is going to be over before we talk about it. <laughs> and, okay. After they steal Xavier, 
they are abducted by William Stryker, the primary team, for no reason other than to set up a cameo by Hugh Jackman. Oh, bullshit! No! I, no. I will stand... Hang on, they no, no, no. blew up a school! It yeah, suddenly they blew... made the world... Stop, no, don't, don't talk over me for a second. They All blew right. up the school. That let the world know the school was there and it existed. That's why Stryker showed up. He had already been looking for the school. They didn't know where it was. And when Havoc blew it up, suddenly they knew where it was. And they were like, oh, well, we want these. Uh, he's still looking for these mutants to do stuff to. He still wants Mystique. So that's why he swept in, showed up, and stole all the X-Men. And that's when our three heroes, our three young heroes, Nightcrawler, Jean Grey, and Scott Summers, stow away aboard the ship so that they can go to his base and rescue uh, Mystique, Hank, and Moira Taggart. Now you may continue. The whole thing is designed first and foremost to set up a Wolverine cameo. A happy byproduct. Hang on. A happy byproduct is it actually gives us a chance to see what some of the other characters can do. Happy byproduct. And I'll say that I say I phrase it that way simply because Wolverine's inclusion in this movie was a mandate from on high. He has no business being here from a narrative standpoint. Eh, I could argue. I, I can argue that sequence is placed in the movie when, when we actually get to it. But my goodness, I was going to say your plot synopsis is slowly becoming you, you. You getting an extra rant in? Yeah, um, I was hoping you wouldn't notice. Get on with it. So after they steal a plane, they unite. They are now the X Men. They're going to stop Apocalypse. They they arrive, there's a big overly CGI'd fight that is, in places, okay, in places, pretty awful. Uh, A heartfelt plea from Mystique and Quicksilver to Magneto, convince him to change sides. While this is going on, Apocalypse is trying to take over the consciousness of Xavier, and they're all losing. There's Storm, and Xavier's fighting him mentally. Magneto's throwing metal at him. Cyclops is shooting him, and he laughs at all of them. Which is awesome, by the way, because that's what that character is supposed to do. Uh, they, they can't stop him. Their combined might is inefficient to stop Apocalypse. Jean Grey goes full Phoenix, uh, destroys him, uh, setting up the next movie nicely, including... Uh, the stereotypical walking away smoldering look of anger from Psylocke as she escapes the battle over a flaming car, no less. Uh, we, this ends with the first X-Men team being really established. You have Mystique, Cyclops, Beast, Jean, Nightcrawler, and Storm. No, I was forgetting somebody there. Uh, after Apocalypse is killed, Magneto goes back on his merry way, having now been partially exonerated from trying to kill the president because he helped stop, you know, someone who was going to wipe out 90% of the life on the planet. I think we're going to go ahead and give him a failed assassination attempt there. And we close with Xavier just kind of watching, you know, the first iteration of the danger room and Sentinels being brought out to train the new guys. An arousing speech by Mystique, closing out her arc. Rousing is a bit much. It's certainly a speech. All right. So 
after that rather uh, and part of the reason that was so lengthy and convoluted was you from couldn't a plot, help yourself from criticizing part of it was film? I couldn't help myself part of it is there's this is a weird circumstance where there's very little plot to talk about but at the same time there's a lot to actually get through all right let me let me jump in here Going into this, one of the things that I had read, both from critics, which we'll talk about a little bit later, as we always do, plus from some people that I knew who had seen it, I saw it Sunday on a double date, um, was that it, it's like 90% set up and then, and then we're, we're already at the third act. So there's like almost no second act. It's like, it's a, it's a two hour first act and a half an hour third act and the movie's over. Um, and it, and while I, it's not that bad, it, it is a lot of setup. Like That's said, a moderate exaggeration, but fundamentally is a somewhat accurate assessment. Um, it, it takes a long time. First of all, like I said, the first thing they do is they establish your villain um, and they give him his backstory. And I'll tell you what, I could have used a little less backstory and a little more and a little more modern motivation, which we already talked about. I don't need to rehash that again. Y'all got it. Um, you know, if you were taking notes, I said it, you know, about 20 minutes ago. So there's that. Then they have to set up Magneto, um, which here, here's our first point of contention that Robert and I had. And now's as good a time to talk about it as any. Um, how are we doing on time here? Do I have to add another half minutes. hour? To- I'll <laughs> add another half hour. Why not? Okay. Well, if we end early, we end early. If not, we don't have to worry about overrun. Okay. Now, I'm not going to address the issue of, um, as far as your main stars, uh, James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender, and Jennifer Lawrence, and a mandate from the studio that all three of these people have to be in these movies so long as they agree to be in them. Um, That aside, from a narrative perspective, I argued that um, a lot of time is used, I don't want to say wasted, but used in setting up Magneto's Fall. Magneto's Fall could have been its own fucking movie, okay? But if you're looking for, much much like our conversation about Age of Extinction, if you're looking for places to cut things, cut Magneto out of the movie entirely. Just don't even have him in the movie. Um, Get another character who we don't care about and and can turn on a dime and not worry about his backstory as much because we don't get a backstory on Psylocke. We don't get one on Storm and we get, we really don't get one on Angel. Um, you know, we just sort of get setups so that we know where these, so we know where these pieces are so we can put them with apocalypse. And honestly, mandates from studios and star power aside, there's a lot of time taken up with Magneto's, uh, you know, what he's been doing since Days of Future Past and then taking it away from him so that he has the requisite anger to follow Apocalypse into battle. Well, you can save a lot of time by just creating a fourth non, you know, non-denominational henchman and moving on with this. You know, I, they couldn't have- my only contention there, first of all, I, th- I think you need Magneto in the sense that he is an integral part of the story that these three movies tell. I think a big part of it is Magneto's you know, kind of coming around to more of Xavier's way of thinking. It's, it, he's important to the story. 
we I absolutely agree we don't need I mean my my big gripe here why give him a family uh, I, and I don't mean why why would he seek one out I mean not character I mean if you're writing this this is a guy who has been put through the ringer more than enough to this point we don't really need one more tragedy here it's I so unnecessary. I also think it would have been better off uh, if if it were more of a situation like him, like uh, where we found Wolverine at the beginning of the Wolverine, where he's just drinking in a forest, you know, and and, and has decided to not be to not be a part of the world. You know, at the end of Days of Future Past, he's a pariah, and um, he's essentially a. Uh, you know, he, he's a man on the lamb. So what's to say, you know, he didn't, you know, his story off screen was, I tried. It, it just nothing ever worked. Every, you know, it always came back to, you know, I'm a mutant and someone would find out. And then ultimately, the, you know, the, the gig was up and I just found it better to just live in, live in anonymity than, than try to re, you know, be a part of the world. So when Apocalypse finds him, you know, and, and he says, why must you live in shame and, and, and in fear when you are a god? And that should have yeah. been enough. Yeah, I completely agreed. We, he, th- again, there's enough pain in this character's life. He's already lost things. He's already lost his family. He's lost his adopted family. He's struggling with his own you know, internal morality compass. We really didn't need, oh, I, I had happiness and then boy, those darn humans, they, you know, took it away from me. Again, it really unnecessary. And here's the other thing about that. That presents such a better opportunity for Apocalypse to be fleshed out as a character if he shows up and has to convince Magneto through dialogue rather than capitalizing on... Temporary grief. Well, here, here's the thing. We haven't seen the Morlocks yet. You know, we haven't seen those class one, two, and three mutants that you see in X-Men 3, um, you know, living in the sewers and in the shadows. That should have been where Magneto was. There should have been Magneto and a bunch of shitty mutants all, like, you know, getting warmed by a fire and, a, you know, and an oil drum. And that's where, and, and that's where he finds him. It's like, this is what you've come to? Kind of thing, um, and and then you could have yeah. done you could have wrapped it up in one scene instead of three or four scenes getting to the same place. Why they needed to go to Auschwitz, I have no idea either. Um, uh, I I understand that one actually. And just, we're talking about you know getting some getting getting the kids to the mall for time. It was a scene where I understood it's I understood its necessity. Um, you know, in terms of getting him to, you know, to see the folly of, of not taking out the humans. On the other hand... Well, it's also... The other important thing there is that is the vehicle by which Apocalypse unlocks more of his uh, power. Magneto, in this version, his power is very much tied to his emotions. So if you're doing what Apocalypse does and you know, imbuing power, unlocking more latent potential than people have. In the case of Magneto, taking him to the place of, you know, greatest emotional trauma, 
to help him realize that, no, by the way, you know, the Earth's core is all magnetic material. If you really wanted to, there's all kinds of things you could do. Uh, I understood yeah. that. I was more okay with that than and I was I, with uh, you know, honestly, the setup. Find him in an alley somewhere, you know, with, with the rest of the Morlocks. Walk, you know, walk up to him and say, what, you know, what are you doing? And then, you know, and then through dialogue and then kind of through maybe sort of a dreamy sequence, kind of, you know, say, look, look at what you could become and versus what you are. And boom, right there. One scene, Magneto joins Apocalypse. You don't need a protracted, elongated sequence of events leading up to that. So No, no, you really don't. Because here's the thing. While on the one hand, what we saw in the movie was fine. I mean, I, I don't want to get into a huge argument with you about this. Um, whether you whether you liked it or not, it's almost not not the point. Um, it's there. It's well acted. It's well shot. There's nothing. There's nothing wrong with it. What we're talking about is if you had to get rid of something, that's number one on the list. But we're not re-editing the film at this point. So going back to what the film actually was, it's fine. No, Fassbender's acting has never been a problem throughout all three of these movies. And it's, and it's not mean, an easy thing to pick up the mantle of Magneto from someone like Surian McKellen and be great with it, and he has. And look, I mean, for what it's worth, uh, necessary or unnecessary, just judging it on its face, I was sad when they shot the daughter. The whole sequence made me uncomfortable. You're supposed, but uncomfortable. Okay, but yeah, I get it. You're, suppo- you're supposed to be made sad by it. Well, mission accomplished. Good filmmaking. You know? Oh. <laughs> Go- yeah, and Roger Smith as tearjerker killed audiences by having them cry themselves to death because he showed you a movie that was four hours of a baby chimpanzee trying to revive its dead mother. I'm allowed to cry when a child is shot with an arrow. You are, and I'm not criticizing you for crying or, or necessarily... Uh, how do I phrase this? Yeah, yes, you're supposed to be sad when a child dies. I, so, well, I don't understand what we're talking about at this point. I, they wanted again, to I question the They wanted you okay, to feel bad for Magneto. Problem. Hang on, hang here's on. They wanted, you to, right. they wanted you to sympathize with Magneto, even though he was embracing evil once again. Because you're gonna, because at the end of the movie, when he turns, they want you to cheer him. That's the whole point of that. And I think you can do it without that kind of blatant emotional manipulation that exists. Mm-hmm. Solely Stop for that purpose. Writers in Hollywood to work hard. Jesus, slave driver. No, I am going to ask them to do things that don't suck. Embrace mediocrity. Uh, no. <laughs> All right, let's. So let's let's move on here, um, because ultimately, what we're really talking about in this movie is the fact that it is overstuffed, and it does present a problem, um, because the other side of so, so our Angel, Psylocke, and Storm are not fleshed out in any way, shape, or form. They are literally mindless faceless henchmen. And the closest that you get to them having characters is that their costumes are pretty much on board. Angels is a little iffy. But, um, you know, Psylocke is right out of the comic books. Uh, Storm is right out of the comic books for the most part. Uh, and that's all there is to them. They're, they're there to fight. They're there to look like comic book characters. Mission accomplished. Um, they they do nothing else. Uh, I don't even think Storm has dialogue. <laughs> Storm ha- again. Storm has a few lines of dialogue, and 
again, her character is that she worships Mystique. So that when Mystique shows up opposing Apocalypse later, that's why she turns. Um, so moving to the other side of the movie, uh, you have uh, you have the two new two new characters, Jean Grey and Scott. Um, I'll tell you what. I'm going to talk a lot about this tomorrow on Long Road to Ruin, about how Fox just hates James Marsden and the Cyclops character, otherwise known as who gives a shit. But at least he got his due in this movie. He actually got a story. He, you know, he, he got, they got to flesh out the character some, you know, there actually was a character there other than, you know, a opposition to Wolverine. Um, you get, you get yeah, to see that- Struggling I with anticipate you ranting a lot about their treatment of Cyclops. So I liked the relationship that is uh, established between uh, Jean Grey and Cyclops from the very beginning. Um, I mean, the fact that Night, Nightcrawler was basically the, the, the good guy version of Storm, I think. He's, he's sort of there to do stuff and not much else. He really adds nothing to the movie other than they needed they needed a teleporter for some scenes. Very uh, true. This whole movie, really, uh, part of it at least, is about G- Jennifer Lawrence's uh, mystique. This is Mystique's arc. Um, you know, I said at the start that she, she starts off as, you know, this sort of angry uh, person saving mutants, and at the end she says she embraces, you know, she, some, some, one of the reviewers actually talked about this. If you look at the, if you look at the arc of the trilogy, he starts off with Charles, she turns away from Charles, and at the end of it, she's back with him again. That's one way of describing her arc. You know, another way is, you know, she goes, you know, she starts off unsure, and then, uh, and then she's completely motivated by anger, and by the end of it, she, bec- she rises and she becomes the best version of herself. She becomes a hero. Um, as she leads the X-Men into, into the battle. So it's fine. Um, you know, I, I, I can't get out from under the thumb of Fox. You know, what Fox wants, Fox gets. And Fox wanted a Jennifer Lawrence trilogy, and that's what they got. Um, McAvoy's arc over three movies, eh, I mean, he has, his biggest, he, he has his biggest arc in Days of Future Past, where he goes from heroin addict back to, you know, leader of mutants. You know, and teacher, but you know, in this one, um, it, his arc is more tied to what he did to Moira in the first movie and taking her memories. Um, you know, giving giving up a giving up that need to control others and letting people uh, sort of you know face their own destinies. That was his thing. Uh, Magneto not being not hating humans. That was his thing, and so. Um, by the end of the movie, all of that is tied up rather neatly in a nice little bow, and uh, it was satisfying. I, I thought I thought the ending of the movie was satisfying with Mystique leading the first group of actual X Men, um, and you know, and Magneto sort of accepting uh, the world the world as it is with mutants. So um, beyond that, you know, I wish more time had been spent establishing the kids. Um, a, a Quicksilver. Let me talk about him real quick. <sighs> that was a, that's absolutely a memo from the Fox executive saying, "Hey, everyone loved Quicksilver in the first movie. Do that again, but do it bigger." And and they did. 
<laughs> it's a it's essentially it's essentially Leonard Skinner playing Freebird. <laughs> you know, it's like they started at the end they they, they they played you a version of Freebird at the end of the show, at the, at the beginning of the show, and then at the end of the show they reprised it for about twelve minutes. Um it's great. The scene is the scene is uh visibly visually uh stimulating and outstanding and great and all of that. And a complete retread of everything that they did in Days of Future Past. Um, you know, it's, it, again, it's like, yeah, play the hit. Okay, here's our hit. Great, I'm happy. I'm not going to, you know, Winfrey can, can pee on it all he wants. I was happy. Everyone in the theater who saw it was happy. So it doesn't take much, it doesn't take much to make us apes happy. Um, do you want to talk about the Wolverine scene and whether or not it was and how useful it was? It wasn't useful. I I don't understand. Here's my gripe with that. Even if we decide to accept the premise that Stryker's appearance and them being abducted was necessary. Now I don't necessarily, but for the purposes of this discussion, okay. He is still unnecessary to that sequence. You can have them escape just utilizing their own, you know, common sense, their own smarts, their own abilities, instead of necessarily having Berserk Wolverine. Now, don't get me wrong. I love Hugh Jackman does a great Berserk Wolverine, and I'm more than happy that he goes through the place killing people. (laughs) In terms of overall narrative, I question its necessity. Here, here's what I'll tell you. They could have written a movie in which the characters are strengthened by their ability to get through an extremely hard series of obstacles using their wit and, and wisdom, such as it is, and their powers, and we really get to know them. But wouldn't you rather just have fan service? Wouldn't you rather just see Weapon X tearing the fuck out of people? No. Sure you would. Um, no, I mean, why, I, why, honestly, why? this is the reason I bring it. The whole reason I bring it up. <laughs> so wouldn't you look? You go see a band play, and sure, you could hear Def Leppard play stuff from their new album. But wouldn't you rather just hear "Pour Some Sugar on Me"? This is—I don't find that to be an adequate comparison here, necessarily. Why? I think what what happened here was more, I went to see Def Leppard, and then Axl Rose came out on stage, sang, one, sang a new crappy song, and then left. No, he sang a song we're all familiar. In that, in that I'll go with you on that one. You went to go see Def Leppard, and out walked Axl Rose, and they did a rousing rendition of Welcome to the Jungle. Nah, okay, fair enough. And my point being, it's unnecessary. It just disrupts Why? the flow of everything. You could have absolutely done without it. They absolutely needed to get rid of all the obstacles so that our heroes had less things to, over, to accomplish and overcome. And <laughs> to the point where I say, and it, again, my, my whole point there was, if they never, if the school blows up, and in direct response to that, they go down into the basement that was blast-shielded, they get on the plane, and they go fight Apocalypse. I just cut 20 minutes out of this movie that served very little purpose to begin with. It, they, the kids needed to, to have something to do. 
in order to bring them together so that when they find so that there was a base uh, for them to fight apocalypse. See. And I think you could have accomplished that in different ways in a different in a different oh, sure. setting without necessarily having to extend a sequence like that. Shoehorn uh, in Wolverine. But I don't disagree with you. You could have absolutely had that same sequence. I think the striker sequence is important in the movie uh, for a variety of reasons. I've stated a bunch of them already. Um, but I facetiously said, yeah, they, they, could have, they could have gotten to the very same place they got to by giving them, you know, Cyclops sort of getting more comfortable with his powers, Jean Grey starting to use her powers, Nightcrawler doing fun things with his, and like, oh, look, they're, they're coming together. I would have accepted team. Jean Grey struggling with hers again because, you know, mm-hmm. another reminder that, hey, there's this uncontrollable aspect to her power that we all should be a little bit scared of would not right. have they, been remiss at that point in time. They, they could have absolutely done some allusions to, you know, the hidden Phoenix power within. But again... If Axl Rose suddenly shows up on stage and sings Welcome to the Jungle with Death Leopard, who cares? Have I'm going to throw a bottle at his head for interrupting my concert. No! Every one of us is going to clap and, and sing along. <laughs> Look, I'm being somewhat facetious here. <laughs> Maybe you hadn't picked that up. Um, but, but that's the reality of it. These, these movies, a lot of them are just fan service. That was an absolute. Oh boy, was, howdy, was, are they? <laughs> that was absolutely half dictate from Fox, half fan service. Oh cool, look, Wolverine. I was like, Weapon X. At least but, they should have had him be naked, like he was uh, in Origins. <laughs> Just dong walking around slapping people. <laughs> um, look, you can fight this all you want, but you know we, we're. Look at the slate of movies we're getting over there. We're, we're getting the Emoji Movie, depending on how the lawsuit goes. We're getting Trolls I the Movie. I really hope that never gets made, just so I never have to see it and never have to yell at you people for paying to see it. We just got an Angry Birds movie, for fuck's sake. This is the world we live in. So I, you know, so, so I go back to what I said the, you know, uh, about 20 minutes or 30 minutes ago. Sure, it could have been done better, but on its face, it was a fun scene. You, you cannot deny that devoid of everything else, devoid of, uh, of concrete film criticism, the scene itself is, the, is equivalent to the airport scene in Civil War. It's the fight scene that we were all waiting for in Batman vs. Superman. It's, the, you know, it's, uh, it's visually stimulating candy. And I'm not entirely I'm sure I agree with that. In large part simply because all of because they want to keep this as family-friendly as possible, Wolverine's violence has to be done off-camera. Oh, nobody else had a problem with it. <laughs> well, I did. This is, I'm a part of the show. I'm allowed to express my opinion as far as this goes. That's fine. And you're absolutely right. I apologize if you feel like I, I am, uh, I am I'm limiting, that, limiting you from doing that. But the rest of the known universe... <laughs> so, so again, look, am I happy with Wolverine being berserk and killing people? You sure. I like a movie <laughs> with a high body count. I'm not averse to on-screen violence in any by almost any stretch of the imagination, almost any stretch, mind you. I just think it has to go with the overall narrative instead of being shoehorned as part of a mandate from 
a corporate office, and that's all his appearance in this was to set up the third Wolverine movie. Yeah. I'll allow it. I know. you. Of course you'll allow it. You enjoyed it. And if all I get to watch is that scene, sure, I enjoy it too. The problem is there was, you know, 90 minutes beforehand, probably closer <laughs> to 110 minutes beforehand, and there was 30 minutes after. All right. Um, what do we got left here? We we talked about the the characters slash non characters in this movie. I think we. I, I need to talk about Oscar Isaac very briefly. All right, hit it. I, I deliberately went into this movie leaving behind what I know of Apocalypse as a character. Now, part of that is because I'm working really hard to get to the point where I care less about source material except for a point of reference necessarily than wanting to see a one-to-one adaptation. It occurred to me I absolutely needed to develop this particular skill set when Idris Elba was cast as Roland because part of my brain just spazzed. I have nothing against Idris Elba. Fine actor. Fan of Idris Elba. Absolutely not what I picture whenever I have at any point when I have ever thought about Roland. However, that's the direction they went. I what? Who you, what what are you talking about? Oh, the Dark Tower adaptation. Oh, we're on that again. Okay, go on. It, this, this is simply for a point of reference. Because when we review those movies, and I'm going to insist, <clears throat> they're going to be major blockbusters. You'd put them on anyway. I'm just insisting. It, if I go into those movies the same way a lot of people went into, and I mean this only quasi-facetiously, The Lord of the Rings and then screamed, where's Tom Bombadil? <laughs> I can do that with those movies. I guarantee it. When they make them, when I watch them, I could come out and go, well, here's the laundry list of things they left out. I could even argue why most of them are important. But if I do, if I go into that movie with that perspective, I'm not going to necessarily be able to criticize and critique the film. I'll be screaming about what they changed. And that's not this. It's not fair. It's not the same thing. So left behind what I knew of apocalypse at the door. If they wanted to make changes to the character, fine. I'm again, I'm okay. As long as they're internally consistent. And then they gave us, you know, not a character. There's, there are, again, two primary things at fault here. One is the writing, where they, they just didn't feel the need to write a character. They, I don't know why they felt that, but that's clearly what they felt. He has no character. Two, Oscar Isaac is a very good actor. And vocally, he is very, very good here. When they cast him, when they, when they were casting Apocalypse in general, I was very concerned. It's one of the reasons I was excited when they had talked about Tom Hardy potentially taking the role, because I have seen Tom Hardy act with, through, and around various both uh, you know, heavy makeup applications, facial prosthesis. He wore a freaking mask in one movie and still did a great job. I know the man can work with whatever you put on his face. 
absent having seen that, I tend to feel that the majority of actors working today don't know how to. Now, some of them do, some of them don't, but again, an absence of evidence, I assume the negative in this case. And unfortunately, Oscar Isaac is visibly hampered by the headpiece they put on him. Uh, he's never very comfortable physically with the role, it seems. He's, again, vocally, he's fine. He has a great voice. They did great stuff with it. But his forehead never moves. And that's a problem because it's part of how you emote. He's never terribly threatening. And I think it's, be- and this might actually be the fault of whoever made the, the makeup that he wore, the prosthesis that he wore. Because if it doesn't move with the actor's face, then it doesn't matter what they're doing under it. But he never facially emotes the same way that you kind of need to. And maybe that's him. Maybe that's the makeup. Maybe it's the director not caring. I don't know, but it's a problem. And with, you know, a character, and I use that term loosely, that is this flat, he needed menace. And he doesn't get it. The only thing he gets are a handful of decent lines. But other than that, when they want you to be afraid of this character, they throw CGI at you. Whether it's his eyes turning white or... I mean, some of the things he does are pretty terrifying. When you actually consider them, they just never give you the opportunity to. And again, Oscar Isaac is a very good actor. Anyone who's seen Ex Machina can testify. Very talented actor. In a just in a position here, whether through his fault or others, uh, just did not succeed. And I think that's, um, I believe that's basically my piece when it comes to that character and the actor behind him. I don't have a whole lot to say about Apocalypse. I kind of said what I needed to say about him at the beginning. Um, What what is there to say? When I joked that he could have been replaced with a hurricane, I'm not. As I said before, as I said before, he had a clear, you know, he had motivation for what he was doing. He had a belief. He had ideas. Um, you know, as you're saying, was a lot of it executed executed very well. Eh. Um, not really, but at the very least, I could I could follow what the plan was. You know, at no point did I have at no point did I want to get up and shout. I was the author of all your pain, James. You know, he wasn't. His plan wasn't convoluted anyway. It was pretty straightforward. Um, you know, collector of powers, wanted to rule the world, uh, wanted to get rid of all the humans. Okay, we, we've seen it before, um, but I'm okay with that. So I don't have a whole lot to add to what you're saying about Apocalypse. Um, he had one good moment, I think, in the entirety of this film. Well, there, there's one that had nothing to do with him necessarily when he's fighting off all of the X-Men at the same time and basically laughing at them. Uh, which was pretty cool, but there's no, it, it, it's a mo- it's cool, but it kind of lacks context. Apocalypse himself does very little throughout most of this movie. 
And it's a real shame in a lot of ways. Uh, but when he actually, uh, util- when he you know, mind when he mind melds with Xavier, utilizes him to force the world to launch all their nukes into space. Uh, I thought it was a very it, it did two things simultaneously. One, it removed the inevitable question of well, why don't they just nuke him? <laughs> and two, I mean, his line as he's doing that, that, you know, you can launch your arrows from the Tower of Babel, but you can never hit God, is a very cool line. And it's it's the only moment involving him, I think, that's actually any, you know, that's in the least noteworthy. And well, that's your primary villain. Sometimes all you want in a villain is somebody who can uh, spout really fun lines. All right. Um... Overall, we need to move move this on here and talk about some other things. Overall, like I said, I like the movie. Um, oh, wait, I have one more thing. I, oh, I just remembered it. And I'll explain why I forgot it. Remember when they cast Olivia Munn and I said it was a bad idea? Oh, this again. Okay, yeah. Hang on. Play along, Mark. Remember <laughs> when I said that? Yes, sir. Still true. Uh, Hang on. It is slightly less true than I envisioned because my complaint about her being cast as Psylocke was I don't think she's a very good actress. When it turns out that you're not hiring someone for their ability to act, then my complaint... She has maybe five lines of dialogue in the whole movie. Yeah, she is... is, They care that she looks like Psylocke from the comics. I was going to say, I think all they wanted was a model and not an actress, and that's what they got with Olivia Munn. I'm not going to debate the merits of the woman's acting with you, but not on this. If you want to do that, we'll talk about the newsroom. <laughs> I just don't have the strength tonight. Um, but well, I will say, not only do you not have the strength tonight, you don't have the strength of material in this particular instance. No, I was going to say that we'll talk about the newsroom, is what, was what I said. Um, nah, I don't care for the newsroom much either. But, uh, no, they absolutely basically put a model in the place of an actress. Um, she absolutely looks the part. Um, she, you know, the, all the physical acting that she has to do in gymnastics and wire work, uh, she does it all very well. She does it all with, 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 with grace. And she looks like she jumped right out of the comic book. That was all they needed from her. Yeah, they took the Michael Bay approach to casting here. <laughs> uh, overall... I think the critics are a little have been a little too a little harsh, and we'll talk about that uh, when, you know in just a moment. I when oh, it comes will to will we now? <laughs> I uh, I think they're being a little unfair, a little unprofessional. Um, like I said, despite all despite the yelling and screaming we've done tonight, I think overall it was a solid story. Um, the one agreement that I have with the critics with this is. You really wanted to end the trilogy on a bigger on a bigger bang than what we got, and uh, you know to Rob's point, it's more disaster porn than it is uh, you know the, the, climax, the, the the climax of a compartmentalized story set in three chapters. Um, it almost makes me wish they didn't do Days of Future Past as the middle chapter. I wish they had done something different. Um, because as much as I like Days of Future Past, it's probably my favorite of the X-Men movies. Uh, it, it's just, it, it's a weird story to tell 
when you go from well, the first Well, it's a weird story, and it's so tonally – it's tonally very different from either first class or this one, which is yeah. – which are the two points – the two stories that bookend it. And that's the thing. It's like this doesn't feel like the Return of the Jedi or the Revenge of the Sith or – Can or, I mention or, that that scene was stupid? Or the um, – hang on. Or the – oh, God. The Dark Return Knight Rising. Dark Knight Yeah, I mean, when you get to some of these movies and you have this, I mean, I'll tell you what, I actually think like The Last Stand, please don't yell and scream. The Last Stand actually gives you more of a, you know, they built to something uh, climactic and braveheartish at the end, more so than this one does. Um, And that's because you essentially have one villain and everyone turns on him (laughs) at the end. Uh, I will agree with you in the sense that Last Stand, while, and I know you and I disagree slightly on this, I find it to be a generally poor film. It is, it very much feels like the conclusion of the story from the previous two movies. Still a stupid story. It's still not a very good movie, but it feels the same. That actually felt like the closing of a chapter, the, uh, uh, the closing of a story that they were trying to get to from the first movie, where this one doesn't. Now, in yeah. terms of relationships and character arcs, it does. But as far as the overall story we're trying to tell in a world full of mutants, I went, I, there's got to be... Yeah, I left the movie thinking, well, we're going to get more chapters, so I guess it didn't need to end there. Um, you know, this doesn't have to be Return of the King, but we will, re- we will be returning to this world once again. Uh, do you want to take All the right. caller? Yeah, before we get into... Now the finances and then into the critics uh, here with us. I believe this is Jeff Harris. And if it's not, I apologize to whoever you are, uh, but I'm pretty sure that's Jeff. How you doing? No, no, it's not Jeff. Uh, ah, sorry. This is Mr. Research. I just wanted to mention something, but I'll wait till after you finish. Uh, go ahead. The, the only issue that I have sometimes when people critique things like last stand is that, in the comic book itself, the very first introduction is on the island, if anybody ever read the comic book. So Last Stand has a possibility to be a before-the-island type of concept, even though Aurora is not in the correct place and what have you, and Iceman is in the correct place. It still has an option. It, we can make better movies, of course, but unfortunately now that Disney's associated, it probably never happened. But it's just that as long as the movie is present and it can get better, I think that's the theory I have as a as a true X-Men fan from back in the day. You can make better movies. But once it starts getting too watered down to where you're kind of forcing today's opinion of things like you want to make uh ladies heroes without making them um uh super intelligent as they are in the books or super heroic you want to kind of make them marginally heroic or you want to make the uh night crawler into a very passive individual where he really wasn't so you know when you start doing stuff like that then i can say yeah they are making the movies bad but last stand was not really a bad movie because the concept was okay as far as the books are concerned. I just wanted to say that. 
Well, thank you, sir. I, I agree with you. And we'll talk more about The Last Stand tomorrow, and I'm going to do my best to uh, to give a thorough defense of the movie that I think it needs. I thought my defense of Spider-Man 3 was something. Wait till you hear me defend X-Men 3, The Last Stand. Thanks for calling. All right. Um, shall I hit the music, sir? Uh, yeah, and just real briefly, kind of to that gentleman's point. Uh, Last Stand, I think it's the worst of the X-Men movies. I do think a lot of the... Hang on, hang on. Are you talking about worse, worse than X-Men Origins? Or are we not counting No, I'm... Hol- okay, let, let me... I am holding both X-Men Origins and the Wolverine separate from this discussion. Go on. <laughs> Of the, you know, the first three and then these three, I think it's probably the weakest. I think a lot of the dislike and a lot of the hate that it receives is misplaced and overblown. They fucked up the Phoenix Saga and the nerds went crazy. That's the story of why people hate X-Men 3. That's part of it, but... And again, you're going to talk about it, and I, I'm not on that show, but I imagine Sean will have a few words. Oh, he'll have more than a few words. All right, here we go. Here comes the money. Here comes the oh, money. Here, comes. here we go. Money talk. Here comes the money. Dollar, <laughs> dollar. All right, box office mojo. Here we go. Um, X Men Apocalypse. The production budget was 178 million as of today. With uh, Tuesday's receipts tightly tucked away, we have uh, $277 million worldwide, $86 million domestic, $190 million foreign. Uh, where this compares to Days of Future Past after five days, uh, Days of Future Past kicked its ass. At five days, <laughs> Days of Future Past made $118 million. Um, X-Men Apocalypse, a paltry $86 million. However, it did win the weekend. It beat the living shit out of uh, Alice of the Looking Glass, which of $86 million is paltry, the $36 million that Alice of the Looking Glass is positively insignificant. Um, it stands right now at about number nine for the year uh, after its first weekend, between Monster Hunt and the Angry Birds movie in worldwide grosses. Um, it's projected to lose this weekend to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Ugh. Um, it's probably going to get to around $500 million before I think it peters out. Uh, this weekend, like I said, is Turtles. Next weekend is Warcraft. Uh, and the weekend after that is Independence Day, and then we're into no, uh, July. The weekend after that is Finding Dory. That's is it? Uh, hang on. Turtle right Warcraft. There. I got Finding Dory coming out the 17th, and Independence Day on the 24th. Uh, you might be right about that. Hang on. Yep, Turtles, Warcraft. You're right. Finding Dory and Orange is the New Black. On June 17th, then Independence Day. And Either then, way, uh, it's not beating any of those movies. Yeah, and then the BFG and Legend of Tarzan come out on July 1st. Um, and then The Secret Life of Pets. 
And then Ghostbusters, everybody, the next million dollar picture. So, uh, just please stop chill. saying that, Mark. Because <laughs> you you're frightened. I'm going to be right. I'm generally convinced you were gonna, you were right about that to begin with. I just don't need to be reminded. Woo! Um, anyway, when have I ever? So, hang on, hang on. I don't think I've ever said that movie is going to flop. I said it's going to be terrible. That's not the same thing. This is true. All right. Um, so with all that being said, number one in the world right now is Captain America. Finally beat out Zootopia. Uh, Zootopia is still hanging strong at 993 million. Um, X-Men Apocalypse did not do as well as Fox wanted it to. Uh, this was supposed to be competitive with Captain America. It's not. It'll, it'll probably peter out around 500 million. It'll make its money. Um, certainly, but, uh, it's not getting the repeat viewings that, that they wanted. It's not getting the critical acclaim that they wanted. It's not getting a lot of the, you know, I'll, even the most ardent fans of the series and of the comic books are kind of walking away going, meh, <laughs> you know, it was a thing. It was a thing that happened. I'll Ironically enough, one. that's the conclusion you and I basically arrived at. Yeah. Well, to one degree or another. Um, Enjoyable, sure. If I could sum this thing up, I think I did this on Facebook, but I'll repeat it here because not everyone is going to have access to that. It's a decently entertaining, big budget disaster movie. Don't go. It's not much of a superhero movie. Uh, If you're a fan of the X Men characters, you're going to be disappointed about by the lack of depth. But it. You know, I spent five bucks on it, and I'm generally okay with that. As far as uh, how the weekend went, uh, once again, and I believe these are domestic. Uh, these are the domestic receipts. Uh, X Men Apocalypse was number one. Alice with the Looking Glass uh, came in at number two with 26 million. The Angry Birds came in at number three. Uh, it was number two last weekend. It's now number it's now number three. So the Angry Birds movie is actually hanging on. It's not doing bad. Captain America came in at number four. Neighbors two at number five. Um, the Jungle Book still hanging in there. Money Monster actually made the top ten. Um, as did Zootopia. Zootopia is num- was number ten this past weekend. It was number thirteen. It actually went up <laughs> three three places. So there you go. I told you guys. A week or so ago, that I think Zootopia is still playing in my local theater. Yeah, see. So, um, it, this is going to be one of those where Fox, uh, you know, it's like thank God we had Deadpool earlier in the year. It, 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 I think, it's in terms strictly of receipts, uh, they're going to look at this as sort of a midland chapter. Brian Singer has said he's not coming back for the next movie. Uh, they're going to get somebody else to direct it. It's supposed to take place in the 90s. I've heard something about them getting the original cast back together. Um, if they do, they need to apologize to James Marsden and promise they're going to give him something to do this time. Um, I, I, I don't know if Halle Barry's been in anything of, of note, you know, to where she can afford to throw yet another tantrum. So uh, who knows? I'm not in favor of bringing back the original cast. Um, I'd like to see them do something with the cast they had established in this movie. Uh, as far as where they're going with it, it's looking like Mr. Sinister, uh, based on the 
end credit scene. You have any thoughts about oh, that? About uh, I didn't stick around for that. I wasn't aware there was one actually. Yeah, it's at the, at the very end of the credits. Um, you, you see the you see somebody show up in a suit, take the Weapon X DNA, and uh, shove off with it, along with some uh, X-rays of his skeleton. And when you cut shift the briefcase, it says Essex Corp. I read an article about this. Um, it could be alluding to a number of different things. The, one well, of the big, Essex but, is one of uh, Mr. Sinister's original names, if memory serves. Can I right. also say this real briefly? If you're going the route of Mr. Sinister, which is fine. He's, a, he's an interesting character if done correctly. Brian Cranston said he wants to play Mr. Sinister. Fox, do not overthink this. Okay. Because the idiots at Warner Brothers decided we need Jesse Eisenberg for our crappy version of Lex Luthor. When Cranston was potentially interested and would would have been awesome, if the man wants to play Mr. Sinister, pay him, get him on screen, let him be awesome. This is not that complicated. All right. Um, I think we are right. Unless there's anything else. I mean, um, like I said, with the introduction of the Essex Corp thing, assuming we're getting Mr. Sinister, there were some other ideas bandied about. Um, well, they could just uh, ignore that post credit scene come next movie, too. Do you have any, uh, any ideas as to what you think they'll do next? Uh, no idea. I would, I will say this. Given that they made a big visual deal out of the Phoenix when Gene defeated Apocalypse and he had the line about all is revealed, like he knows something, which he should, given that he had access to celestial technology, which is what allowed him to transfer his consciousness. Touched on in the movie. Again, bothers me. Simply simply because it is made very clear that the process by which he transfers consciousness from one body to another is reliant on this process that is not his mutant power it is something he learned how to do and it involves again this this technological process and they just leave it hanging there and it kind of it annoyed me in the sense that they just left it out there i just you know they're gonna end up making the same mistake they did with the first trilogy uh, by going by by jumping into the Phoenix Saga too quickly, it's almost as if they can't let that character just exist on her own. She has to be the Phoenix, or or, or they just don't care. And it's like you know, Jean Grey was in, was interesting despite the Phoenix. Um, yeah, I, I'd be okay with them doing the Phoenix Saga if they're going to do it correctly. Now, bear in mind that doesn't necessarily mean the way the comics do it because the comics introduce Phoenix as a cosmic entity and the Shi'ar empire and aliens, literal aliens, mind you. It's not something that can necessarily be adapted one-to-one. Here's my, uh, I don't, do you remember how Inferno goes before I, before I share my idea? Uh, not off the top of my head. (laughs) Here's my idea. They're going to, they're going to call it Inferno, but here's going to be the plot. Something's going to happen. Her phoenix power is going to uh, erupt, and in doing so, she's going to kill all the X-Men. All the X-Men are going to go to hell, and they're going to have to fight uh, Mr. Sinister in hell uh, and, and uh, fight their way out. 
Yeah, that's what Fox is going to do. <laughs> there it is. X-Men Inferno, everybody. Get ready for it. All the, all the X-Men fighting their way out of hell. Yeah. All right, here we go. Our, our no, final uh, wait, what time is it, Mark? I, I, I was... Jesus, talk about stepping all over me. My goodness. Sorry, sorry. You know, I'm, I'm just going to... All right, go ahead. No, God! No, God, please, no! 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 It's that time again, everybody. Or what did the critics say over at Rotten Tomatoes? Oh, boy. I can feel my ulcer already. (laughs) Just going to read the Rotten reviews, and boy, are there a lot of them. Um, all right. Uh, the, the real actual, this is Mark Jackson of the Epoch Times. The real actual apocalypse may be happening right now. Apocalypse the movie, not so much. Well, that sure is a snappy little introduction that tells me very little about his actual thoughts on the film. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, Kaneen something Indian of Bangkok Post. All of the film's issues with characterization may have been forgiven if the film at least had any kind of enjoyable action to speak of. You know, uh, given how much of it was forgettable, and I mentioned there's a the final sequence where they battle Apocalypse and the Horsemen, a couple of parts of it are okay. I think Beast's fight with Psylocke is all right. The rest of it is forgettable, and some of it is just, like, bad CGI. Michael Heaton of the Cleveland... Michael Heaton of... Michael Heaton of the Cleveland Plain Dealer. It's hard to know where to begin to describe what an overinflated bag of nonsensical hooey this movie is. Nonsensical hooey might be a bit of a stretch. I think it's a very basic plot structure, but it is overstuffed. We already covered yeah. that. Alex Ledbetter of What Culture? An upsetting failure that sets the franchise back 10 years. Well, that's a load of crap. You're, okay. <laughs> For those of you who don't remember necessarily, last week, because I knew we were, we, we were reviewing this one this time around, To any critic who negatively reviews this movie, and I'll say this again having seen them both now, if you negatively reviewed this movie, but positively reviewed The Last Stand, your perspective is so monumentally skewed that I'm not entirely sure you can be helped. (laughs) Well, that brings me to this particular reviewer. Alonzo Diaz de la Vega at El Universal. Probably the worst superhero movie I've ever seen. Full review in Spanish. Yeah, no. <laughs> look, look, you, with your penchant... Up. Hang on. With your penchant for exaggeration. Oh, this is the worst superhero movie ever made. You are so full of it. I will name three right now off the top of my head that are worse. 
The Punisher. Catwoman starring Halle Berry. And there, ladies and gentlemen, is your actual low bar. <laughs> and Ben Affleck's Daredevil. How about Supergirl? This, I forgot that was a thing. <laughs> oh, oh, no, no, no. Wait. How could I possibly forget the cinematic sputum that is the most recent Fantastic Four movie? That's right. That, okay, that and Catwoman starring Halle Berry are your low bars. And have you all forgotten Batman and Robin? You know, I've come to love Batman and Robin, but that's a whole other well, uh, well, you can enjoy it. It is campy. It is stupid. It is brightly colored. In, and by all means, to anyone out there who enjoys Batman and Robin, I am not going to step on your enjoyment necessarily. Enjoy it. Never try to defend it to me. <laughs> you will fail on every level. I thought it was a very... If you very have fun enjoyable. at it, if you have fun with that it, movie, good on you. I thought it was a very enjoyable recapturing of the spirit of the 60s television show. Which was stupid back then, too. Mara Reinstein, U.S. Weekly. Top so, uh, hang on. My point about that, it, you cannot say this is the worst superhero movie ever. Because Fantastic Four came out last year, and again, Catwoman starring Halle Berry. To, you, to anyone who has the temerity to say this is the worst superhero movie ever made, rewatch those or first viewing. Then try and say that with anything approaching credibility and integrity. <laughs> okay. Mara Reinstein, U.S. Weekly. Top critic. Don't bother unless you have a deep emotional investment in the history of Professor X's hair loss and Jean Grey's skill set. You see, I, I disagree with that because in that instance, you're saying that the, you know, the bright colors and the action set pieces are completely without merit, and I don't think that's the case in this film. I will agree that emotionally there's not a whole lot here, especially compared with the previous two films in this isolated trilogy. But, again, I was entertained for my $5 by and large, and I'm going to use that as a positive in this instance. William Bibiani of Crave Online says, plays more like an overblown episode of the 1990s cartoon series than anything else, and I wouldn't consider that a compliment. I would. That cartoon series is pretty good. <laughs> yes, I thought that was going to touch your, your nerd button there. Well, it's not perfect, and there's plenty of flaws with it, but it, as a general rule, it's you know, that and uh, Batman the Animated Series remain to my particular opinion, the height, by and large. There's a few other good ones, mind you, but those are kind of the pinnacle of comic book, you know, Saturday morning cartoon shows. And I've offended everyone out there who loves any Spider-Man adaptation, and I apologize. All right. Uh, Ann Lee Ellingson of LA Biz. Fox's latest Marvel movie is no fantastic failure like Fantastic Four but it doesn't inspire any enthusiasm for future installments. I would say that's about right. Roger Aren't Moore you excited of, for the next X-Men movie? I'm excited for Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles too, so don't ask me. Uh, Roger uh, Moore, movie 
Enough already. That's it. Just enough already. That's not a valid form of criticism. That's you expressing your general ennui and fatigue with a style of filmmaking. It's not criticism. That's you whining. Yeah, some of these people... Michael Phillips of the Chicago Tribune top critic. I've seen worse this year and better. Wow. And that guy gets paid? (laughs) Okay, Adam Woodward of Little White Lies. Simply put, one of the worst comic book movies ever made. What's your criteria for one of? (laughs) Well, let's establish that. Hang on. You want to say this is one of the worst comic book movies ever made? What's your cutoff? Bottom 10? Bottom 15? Because here's the thing. If we're doing anything less than bottom 20, I can probably name enough comic, bo- enough comic book or superhero movies that are worse than this one to disqualify it from your list. Um... Steven Silver from Entertainment Tell. It has a convoluted and silly plot waste several of the greatest actors working today. Uh, I will not say this plot is convoluted. It's really straightforward. I won't necessarily agree with silly. It's destroy the world. I mean, there's a degree to which that is silly because, you know, destroying the world. But within the context of, you know, comic book movies or superhero movies? Yeah, no. Pretty common, actually. I will also agree that you are wasting at least two very talented actors. X-Men Apocalypse gives uh, uh, Jen Yamato of the Daily Beast. X-Men Apocalypse gives X-Men the last stand a run for its money as the worst entry in a long-running franchise. This, it, that statement is entirely dependent on whether or not you are including X-Men Origins in the discussion. (laughs) If you are excluding it, even then, I think this is better than Last Stand. John Anderson of Time Magazine, top critic, says, if this all sounds wildly entertaining, it's not. Uh, I wouldn't say I was wildly entertained, but... I've spent money on worse movies this year and will in the future because I got to go see Ghostbusters. Yeah, you do. Matt Singer of Screen Crush. The continuity in X-Men Apocalypse is even more of a nightmare than the continuity in the X-Men comics. Oh, bullshit. That is absolutely untrue. If you mean this is overstuffed and you bounce around a lot, fine. Valid point. As someone who has attempted to read up on the continuity of the X-Men comic books from time to time, you, sir, are full of it. You thought that sounded like a good line. You do not have an understanding of what it actually means. Uh, okay. There is nothing more convoluted than continuity within the comic book world, particularly Marvel. Uh, generally, Although I like. Although I suppose DC qualifies simply because they push the reset button every eight months. Um, I I generally like the Forbes reviews, but this one this, this one troubles me. 
Easily the worst team X-Men movie ever made. Makes X-Men The Last Stand look like X-Men The First Class. Again, no, no, no. You know, I'm just going to hit it. No, God! No, (laughs) God, please, no! 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 You, sir... Whoever wrote that, and Mark just mentioned your name, I've dismissed it because you don't matter. You say that, and I imagine you're saying it after having not seen The Last Stand since you reviewed it years ago. Shame on you. Shame on you. That's all I got. Um. <laughs> I believe this whole segment has now run out of steam. Um, if you want an actual good review of the movie, I put one up um, by uh, three or four. ScreenDaily.com. Uh, the excerpt that I really liked was the need for family, the struggle to accept oneself, the challenge of letting go of the past. These have been the dominant themes of the X-Men franchise since the original 2000 film, but they've rarely resonated as deeply as they do in X-Men Apocalypse. I, I seem it. to recall I, mentioning that uh, if I resonate deeply, you mean I dropped into your laps like so much sturgeon from outer space. Yeah, I ignored that. Um, the other one Simpsons I really liked reference. Was, you can't ignore it. The other one I really liked was Express.ca. Um, even though the movie is top-heavy as a result of all the set pieces, action spectacles, character arcs, and backstory infill, it still functions as a film unto itself because Singer never loses sight of the emotional stakes. So yeah, I like that. I like that one too. Those are two good reviews. Those are ones I would I would go ahead and check out uh, once you're done with ours here. And we are done here. I think. Uh, you nothing... want to take this last caller, Mark? Oh, for goodness' sake! Hang on. Um, sure. Go ahead. <laughs> All right. Uh, area code four three eight. I apologize for not screening, but we're running out of time, and I don't have a producer. It's just Mark and I. So anyway, area code four three eight. Go ahead. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I loved. Uh, for me, I loved that movie. I saw it twice, back to back. I think the story was good. I think they did it properly. The emotion was. It was from the beginning to the end. You know, it felt good because for the first time they put Apocalypse like really a god that could really Xavier, who's usually a super powerful mutant, supposed to stop things and couldn't do nothing against him. Like at the end of the fight, when we see that the domination of Apocalypse, it was refreshing and when it was refreshing to see that well Jean Grey who's Phoenix is more powerful than Apocalypse and the end when he said now I see so maybe that opens the door to Phoenix becoming evil because when he said the end now I see before he dies that opens a really big door about things they could do so I liked it all right well, thank you. glad you thanks for calling and I'm glad you enjoyed the film uh, legitimately, I, I don't like people feeling ripped off when they go to the movies. Yeah, uh, it's about time because there's. Uh, I love your critic and everything. I love what you said about Batman movies. That was a total disappointment. I was looking forward for that. Compare, I think Batman, Superman, the people of DC, they gotta learn. They they gotta learn because there's a beginning, there's an end, there's a structure, there's this. Batman, Superman was all over the place. Couldn't see it. Saw it once, and then felt like, damn, that's the movie we, we waited. Don't forget, we waited one year more because they wanted to edit it. 
and that's what they came up for? Come on. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, sir. Thank you, sir. All right. Wow. wow. We, we stuck a nerve tonight. Two phone calls, and neither one of them were Jeff. Man, we, uh, yeah, we more than doubled our usual caller base. We're doing pretty good. And, ni- and neither one of them made a, uh, made a, unlike the Metal Hammer of Doom, neither one of us trolled, neither one of them trolled us tonight. <laughs> Yikes. Uh, all right. So again, thank you to everyone for listening. Uh, yeah, we're going to uh, appreciate it. Uh, I say this on most of the shows I'm on. I'm going to repeat it here again. Uh, time is the only truly finite commodity we have. Everything else we can get more of, generally speaking. I mean, you lose a limb, you know, and there's, and there's a finite quantity of that, too. But in, in general terms, time is the only thing that we can never replace. It's linear in as much as we are related to a stable gravitational force that is unique, oh my that is God, consistent to all of us. Hey, time bends around gravity, all right? You bend around gravity. End the show already. We all bend around gravity. It's kind of how it works. But And you all choose to spend your time with us, and I am deeply appreciative of all of that. So thank you for listening. Thank you for letting your friends know about us. Uh, You can like us on Facebook, the Radlich and Broadcasting Network. That's R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H. Can we plug the other shows? uh, I will. Hang on. (laughs) Um, Well, tomorrow, more X-Men talk this week. Uh, I put, as I wrote on my Facebook page, are exhausting. And believe me, folks, without getting into without getting in too deep, this has been an exhausting uh, preparatory period talking about these X Men movies. As I said on the Metal Hammer of Doom last night, I've come close now twice to just canceling canceling my Blog Talk Radio account and closing up shop uh, at the Rattles and Broadcasting Network. Uh, this was one of those weeks. Um, so. <laughs> Needless to say, there's a lot of opinions about these X-Men movies, and it gets exhausting having these debates. But we're going to do it. We're going to ha- we're going to have a deep and in-depth discussion of the first three X-Men movies tomorrow night on the, on the long road to ruin. And I will seek to defend the indefensible X-Men three. That's my job. Um, it's also my birthday. Got a got a happy birthday. Do we have a song yeah. for you, Mark? Uh, I'm going to upload one for tomorrow's show and I'm going to share it with everyone. A little bit of happiness that I've discovered recently. Um, Mark, I usually play Camper Van Beethoven's Happy Birthday to Me, but I'm not doing that this year. Um, You've got something from like Hate Breed or Body Count, don't you? (laughs) No, as a matter of fact, I don't. Uh, But next week, um, Metal Hammer of Doom, we've got Hell Yeah, Undeniable, Um, as Robert said, he'll be off in the uh, in the woods going right whitewater rafting, which uh, I, I envy him for. That's awesome. Uh, in the meantime, it's Jesse a three-day Star- trip down a stretch of the Green River ought to be fun. Meanwhile, back in the city, Jesse Starcher and Jason Teasley will be joining me to review Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2: Out of the Shadows. Um, the next night on the long road to ruin, uh, a cast of thousands, from what I understand, <laughs> will be joining me. Oh, I thought you were going to wait a week for that. Crap, now I can't participate in that. No, that's going the same week. We'll be looking at the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles trilogy, Go Ninja, Go Ninja, Go. And on a Friday night, I'm going to write something that I want you to read on air then, if at all possible. For you and free, I'll read it twice. Um, And on Friday night, I'm going to see a slightly redundant. (laughs) Shut up. 
Um, <laughs> the week after, Metal Hammer of Doom, Volbeat, Seal the Deal, and Let's Boogie. And uh, Robert Winfrey will be back, and we will be reviewing uh, good, old, good old Warcraft. Um, tell you what, man. That's gonna so far, Cap- Captain America, the only movie with a fresh rating on uh, Rotten Tomatoes. Everything else has been rotten so far. I mean, everything. <laughs> you know, money from uh, Money Monster to Warcraft, not a single fresh movie so far. Say, that strikes me as odd. And again, since I know how the rotten, you know, or you know, rotten or fresh thing works, I would actually give X-Men Apocalypse a passing grade. There were, there were more rotten reviews than there were fresh. I mean, we're a little and like, thankfully, you and I got to dissect some of them as being, you know, not fair, not accurate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so that's it for now. That's all we got going on. Um, all right. Real quickly, this Saturday, I will be covering UFC 199 in the MMA Zone of 411mania.com. So stop by, say hello. I appreciate it. Uh, I covered on last Sunday, there was no episode of the 411 Ground and Pound radio show because there was UFC Fight Night 88 which I covered. You can find my report, again, in the MMA zone of 411mania.com. Cody Garbrandt knocked out Thomas Almeida in the first round. And I'm kicking myself again because I should have seen it coming. But anyway, so thanks to everyone who reads that. If you're a fan of MMA, I appreciate you taking your time to follow along and read the reports there. Uh, Anyway, this Saturday, UFC 199, Michael Bisbing dies while finally getting to fight for a UFC title. (laughs) Luke Rockhold is going to run over him like a steamroller. Also, Dominic Cruz will beat Uriah Faber, and Faber's butt chin will never sniff UFC gold again. Woo! What are you wooing there? You hate Faber as much as I do, right? Well, not as much as I do, but in general. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm wooing the fact that Dominic Cruz is going to kick his ass. All right. Uh, so stop by and say hello to my live coverage this Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time will be the 411 Ground and Pound radio show. Myself and Jeff Harris will be reviewing UFC Fight Night 88 as well as UFC 199. That show takes live callers as well. So if you're so inclined, by all means, call in. Mark, Jesse and Jason will be here next week to take you through the CGI disaster that is the Turtles 2 out of the shadows. And, uh, you know, because it, look, any hope that you may have had for that movie should have died when they cast Tyler Perry. <sighs> Somebody on my Facebook feed said, has already seen it and said they liked it. So there. Sure. I'm sure there are people who are going to enjoy brightly colored things going boom in slow motion. Uh, my daughter That's can't also, wait. What? My daughter can't wait. Your daughter is also what? Three, four? Try five. Where have you been? Five. I, I don't care. <laughs> I have a two and a five-year-old. Keep up. Okay, you, you have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. And they are easily entertained by brightly colored things going boom in slow motion. Well, my son's not as easily entertained. Good for him. <laughs> Young Jonas, stand up to your father, because if I have to deal with another generation of rattleitches trying to tell me that Michael Bay's films are worth watching, I might just go, I might just lose it. I guess you're going to lose it then. All right, say goodnight, Gracie. Uh, No, I don't know anyone named Gracie. I don't know why I would say that. 
uh, under any circumstances, unless I actually knew someone named Gracie. Anyway, Mark will be back next week. I'll see you all in two weeks, and hopefully I don't, you know, die. I don't anticipate it. It's not a rough stretch of river. I've done it before. Uh, Anyway, until then, as we always say here, please continue to be well, be safe, and behave. And here is our weekly look into the mind of a studio executive.